Well, I've got 745. Sister, you want to get us started with prayer? Yes. Father, thank you for the many, many blessings that you bestow upon us daily, Lord. Thank you for the health of our pastor, the well-being of his family, Father. We thank you, God. And Father, we thank you that um, you anoint him, Father, to share your word. I pray that you anoint not just him, but us also, Father, as the hearers, God, that you would meet us where we are, Father, and that your Holy Spirit would speak to us tonight, Lord, and that we would hear what the Spirit has to say. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. It is time to open our Bibles and learn about the Word of God. All right. Well, we'll get started. You should hopefully have received your email, got your notes. This is part two of our study of the doctrine of salvation. We covered part one last week where we talked mostly about salvation being an uh, aspect of the grace of God and uh, you know, God working ahead of time through his foreknowledge, through the election of Jesus Christ and those that believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. And uh, all of that was done surely, uh, simply, purely out of his own love, his own compassion, his own mercy. There was nothing of us or in us or anything that we had to offer other than just being the objects of his love. And for all of us who are saved, we are thankful that that was enough. And it still is enough. If you're listening to this tonight and for some reason you're not saved, uh, there's no need to wait. The love of God is sufficient. The grace of God is enough. If you will call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. All right. So um, last week we ended on the calling of God. So God has put this gracious plan into motion. He, uh, working even before the foundation of the world, within the councils of the eternal Godhead, they, uh, they gave uh, this plan of redemption, life, and, and form, and substance. And uh, now, having been fulfilled, been, and having been completed in Christ, having been finished at the cross, now God sends uh, his prophets and his apostles and his preachers, his teachers, his witnesses. We talk Sunday, right? Uh, Pentecost Sunday. You shall receive power to do what? To be my witnesses. So he is sending all of us who have received the Holy Spirit to go into all the world and to call people to repent and believe the gospel, to repent and believe. That is what the call of God is. This, this, you know, this whole, uh, when, when somebody, uh, whether it's in a church service, whether it's on the street, somebody witnessing to them, whether it's at home, maybe they're reading the Bible, or they hear some person on the radio or television talking about the gospel, or that 
feeling, that conviction, that thing that comes to them, uh, upon them, what is it calling them to do? It's calling them to repent and believe the gospel. There's, it's not a call to be a better person, to live a more moral life, although you will certainly do those things. It's not a call to, uh, you know, go give all your goods to feed the poor, although that's a perfectly fine thing to do. But it's a call to repent and believe. If you do not repent and believe, uh, you are not going to move into or move forward in the grace of God. And what are we called to believe? We're called to believe the gospel. Uh, What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that through Jesus' own death and resurrection, the kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ who has come to save, heal, and deliver everyone who is under the bondage of sin, and that he is the power of God to save everyone who believes, regardless of race or class or social circumstance, regardless of gender, regardless of nationality or ethnicity or language spoken, He is the one who saves everyone because he is Christ crucified, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I wonder sometimes, and maybe we could get some comments here, some questions. How many of us, and I think we are at somewhat of a disadvantage sometimes, or at least maybe people like me. I don't know everyone's experience here, but I was raised in the church. I was brought up. I've been a Christian, I guess, from <laughs> from the time I was, you know, conceived. I, I can't. There was never a time in my life I wasn't part of the church externally. Certainly, I'd have my own personal conversion and my own personal experience, but. I wonder how many of those those of you tonight who are like me, who grew up hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, Sunday school class after Sunday school class, children's church after children's church, you grew up hearing the gospel your whole life. How many of us truly appreciate the power of the gospel and the effect that it can have on the lost? Uh, do I have any uh, thoughts, questions, uh, comments on, on that idea? Yes, Pastor. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, having been myself all my life in the church, I I I want to say that that's why each time somebody presents a program um, of what the church should do and the church should not be doing and what, I always point them back to. The scripture which says the gospel is the power of God and the salvation. Without all of that, because of how many um, provisions we might make and programs, it will not um, get the get the work done unless the gospel becomes the power of God, the salvation, to whatever programs we might institute. So I can appreciate the effect that the gospel will have on the unsaved. I've been there almost all my life. 
right? And I can appreciate that. So I always point back to that scripture when it comes to the, the improvision of whatever programs and things they want to bring. I rely always on the, the power of the gospel, that the power that's in the gospel to bring salvation, not just to myself, but to those who hears, hears this gospel. Amen. Um, you know, like you, brother, and probably like a lot of us, long-term church people, um, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of so-called uh, programs or, you know, platforms or, you know, I've, I've heard people talk about how do we modernize, you know, the church? How do we make the church relevant? How do we make the gospel relevant? And, and usually what they, I don't think they mean it this way, but usually what they're ending up, what it ends up being is something less than the gospel, taking something away from it, watering it down, compromising it in some area uh, to make it more acceptable or, or, or palatable to, to the world. But if we do that, you know, uh, I think we make, even if, we, even if we're successful in winning conversion that way, are we converting them, uh, are we making them twice more the children of hell rather than actually bringing them into the kingdom of Christ? You know, uh, uh, a lot of what counts on the uh, statistical uh, report of the church as conversion is it real conversion is it truly a name added in the lamb's book of life if it didn't come by and through the whole gospel of jesus christ so i, I agree with you there the, the 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 generational efforts that come along from time to time to sort of redefine and and re uh reimagine what the gospel is uh, we have to be very careful not to change anything uh i mean you can change you know the the, the form stuff you know you that you know you don't have to we don't have to do everything the way they did it exactly two thousand years ago i like padded pews i like i like air-conditioned buildings i like sound systems you know uh we don't we don't have to that you know, but that's not the gospel anyway that's just the various mechanical things, material things. Uh, but the message is what delivers. The message of Jesus Christ, of hope in Christ, of salvation through Christ. And I think maybe we're guilty, brother, and maybe some others who want to speak to this. I think because we've heard it so much or for so long that we've really forgotten how radical the gospel actually is. Um, you know, think of Jesus standing up on the mount, the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous, his most famous sermon. You know, what's the first words out of his mouth? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you've heard that your whole life. You don't even give that a second thought. But when you compare that to what people hear every day in the world, it's, it's subversive. It's radical. It's a completely different way of thinking. 
It's a completely different way of, of, of imagining uh, the kingdom of God. I mean, look at some of the things he says. You, you know, love your enemies. Do good to them who are spiteful to you. If somebody smacks you on one cheek, turn the other cheek to them, that they can hit that one. I mean, we, we think of that. We, I mean, think of that in the context of, of you know, Galilee 2,000 years ago, Jesus standing in front of people who probably more than once been beaten by a Roman soldier or had their property seized by the Roman government or, you know, had uh, you know, some uh, magistrate, some tax collector, a Levi, a Matthew, cheat them out of their, you know, what was rightfully theirs. And here comes Jesus saying, love that tax collector. Do good even to them, even though they don't do good to you. That's such a subversive and radical idea. I mean, it's 2,000 years later, and we still can't get our minds around it, because all you got to do is read Facebook and, and see what people say about, you know, uh, the presidents or the, the, the politics or, or somebody who voted for Trump or somebody, you know, we, we, we still haven't figured out how to, to internalize this gospel and make it uh, 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 and really appreciate how counter-revolutionary it actually is. Uh, anybody else want to speak to that? Bishop, I, I agree, you know, with that, that, the, the gospel is really counter, uh, the culture is saying one thing, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is going in the opposite direction. And if you really think about it, you know, it's mind-blowing. Just as Jesus said, as an example, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, it's, it's, really, it's, it's really something to think about. Amen. I, I was actually thinking today, I'm not sure the right way to express it, but, you know, we've sort of not, not, I don't want to, again, I'm trying very hard to get away from this, us, them, we, you know, that, that whole thing. I try to speak for me, uh, but I'm also part of the church. I'm also part of the Christian community. So when I see a certain attitude that seems to be taking root or a certain mindset, certain philosophy, seems to be taking root. Um, You know, I like to address it. And I think there's a mindset in a lot of Christians that the world is lost. You know, (laughs) the church is, you know, the harvest is is gone. We, we, We have no, we've given up on winning the lost. We've given up on converting our communities. We've given up on bringing revival to our communities, to our nations. Uh, and what worries me is that we've done it without ever actually giving the gospel the chance. You know, if we go and preach the gospel to them and they don't respond, then we can say, okay. This nation is now coming under judgment, or whatever, you know, whatever the prophetic interpretation of that is. But a lot of times we're giving up on people 
without even one time actually trying to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every living creature. And that seems like such a shame to me, to, you know, to, to surrender the battle without even firing a shot is, is to me, uh, you know, it, it, it's such a heartbreak. It, uh, it, it's like we don't actually believe this gospel still has the power to reach hearts and minds. And, and, and I say that as, I mean, you know, I'd have, to, I'd have to paint myself sometimes as guilty as anybody else of, of, you know, do I trust the gospel enough in this moment to just speak the word of God and let, and let the chips fall where they may, you know? And that was really the challenge. You know, that, that prayer of Peter and John and after they'd been imprisoned and they're released and they come back to the upper room. And what's that prayer in Acts chapter four? Lord, grant us boldness. Don't let us give up preaching this gospel just because we hit a rough patch or just because they, the powers that be were, were uh, uh, trying to intimidate us or trying to silence us. And, and you know, grant us, I pray the Lord would grant us the spirit of boldness to just keep telling people the gospel, whether uh, it's popular or whether it's received or whether it's, uh, whether it gets us kicked off uh, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, just keep telling them the gospel because the power, the power that the Holy Spirit needs, or, or let me put it this way, the gospel is what the Holy Spirit uses to bring conviction in the conscience of the sinner. Um, you know, brother, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about different programs and presentations, and and you know those things can be very well done. I've sat in church uh, services and watched programs that would have been um, just as good as anything you'd see on Broadway or see in a movie theater. But uh, that you know, we, we should strive for excellence in everything we do. But that's not what convicts people. What convicts people is the Holy Spirit. And he does it through the gospel, convicting their consciences. Uh, first, convicting them that what they're hearing is the truth. And then second, uh, that the result of that truth, of the consequences of that truth, is that they need to be saved. I think that's the real battle I find I myself fighting most days with unbelievers. It's not even a question of whether Jesus really died or whether he really rose again. A lot of them are saying, that's fine. That's great. Works for you. Go, you know, the problem is they don't themselves see any need or reason in their own life. They don't see themselves as needing to be saved. They don't see themselves as a sinner in the hands of an angry God. They just, you know, without that convicting power of the Holy Spirit, it's just a nice story to tell at Easter time and Christmas time. So we really have to, to understand how the Holy Spirit and the gospel work together to produce conviction in the hearts and minds of, of the lost. Uh, do I have any comments or questions on this? All right. Uh, so what is this conviction? It's, it's first that the gospel is true, all right? I, I, you know, I subscribe to all kinds of uh, newsletters and, and uh, you know, all kinds of Christian apologetic 
uh, type uh, podcasts and ministries and um, you know there there's there certainly needs to be a way each of us each of us needs to be educated enough in the gospel to be able to answer the question to give a reason for the hope that's in us but you're never really going to argue anybody into the kingdom you may win the argument you may make the most logical point the most rational point and still not see a person converted uh, now there are you know every personality is a little different there are some people who do come to faith through reason and logic and and seeing how the God seeing how the whole thing makes sense uh, and, and by all means we should have those apologetic ministries for those type of personalities who need that reason to believe but in a lot of other cases other people who are not that type of personality um, it's not a matter of winning an argument with them it's not a matter of uh, you know convincing them that fact a fact B fact C means fact V you know it has to be the convicting power of the Holy Spirit uh, he's the only one that can really convince somebody that what they're reading in the Bible or what they're hearing in a witness or a testimony or in a sermon or, or a song is the truth and then of course second not to be convicted of that truth uh, according to John 16 he'll convict them of the righteousness he'll convict them of sin he'll convict them of judgment so there is that progressive conviction where they come to see themselves as the object of the gospel they're the one that Christ died to save and then that has that puts them in the in the uh, in the position of why do I need to be saved and that's where that conviction of sin that understanding that guilt that shame we we probably swing uh, to both extremes on this pendulum you know uh, there's a lot of churches today that don't mention sin at all <laughs> they're not interested in convicting you of sin they're, they just want you to be a happy person <laughs> be happy be blessed live your most blessed life lift your best life now whatever all that nonsense is uh, that's one extreme then there's the other extreme of the people that every time you walk through the door they want to beat you over the head with the Bible and tell you what a no good low down you know scum of the earth uh, uh, creature you are and you never you know and, and I, I understand there's there's some value at of making people understand the weight of sin but that's really the Holy Spirit's doing. It's, it's not even possible for you and I uh, to truly convince somebody they're a sinner without the Holy Spirit's help. And once they become aware, and once they feel that weight and that guilt on their heart, then we have the opportunity not of, then we have the responsibility not of continuing to pile on and weigh them down so much that they have no hope of salvation, but to make them aware, yes, you are, but Jesus did. And because he did, you do not have to remain in this condition of, of guilt and shame, that you can be saved, delivered, set free. Uh, any thoughts or comments or questions so far? 
Yes, Pastor. Yes, ma'am. Go ahead. I was just thinking, like growing up, we always went to church. My parents were Methodists. But the Methodist church was farthest away from from the house. And we would basically, as children, stop at any church that was closer to home. It could be Adventist. It could be, no, not Adventist. Adventist was Saturday. But it could be um, <laughs> it could be Anglican or just church, well, Church of God, whatever church was closest. But church for us was basically Sunday school. It was the stories in the Bible. It was, uh, it was Jonah and the whale. It was Samson. It it was. All, all the fascinating stories. And um, I don't know that we were introduced to the gospel at an early age or even as teenagers. And I'm just thinking, how can we, you, you know, and it was about Christmas plays and, and the drama and, and a lot of other stuff going on. How can we introduce our children at an early age about the gospel and the, the importance of serving God, the importance of witnessing, the importance of, of living a, a, you know, called out, set apart, sanctified life, and not make it all about um, basically entertainment to a large extent, storytelling, you know, fun time, I, I think, well, I'm just thinking of my own experience. Um, how can we go deeper and, and, and introduce them to the, to the Jesus, who is the central focus of the gospel, and um, kind of bring that conviction earlier in life? Well, I, I think you've hit, you know, on a, on a real sore spot. In, in uh, a lot of Christian homes, a lot of Christian churches, uh, you know, we've had so many lost generations. Uh, it's uh, almost too painful to even count at this point. Um, I'll open it up to the class to, to offer uh, any thoughts they have on it. But I, I, would, I would just begin, you know, the testimony of Jesus Christ is not limited to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's there in Genesis. He's there in the garden, uh, you know, in the coat of skins that God made for Adam and Eve. He's there uh, in the covering of the ark, the ark of safety. He's there uh, in the covenant with Abraham. He is there in the Exodus, the Passover lamb. You know, so those, those stories uh, uh, have to be more than stories. They are themselves parts of the gospel and the ones who teach those stories to their children, be it, you know, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, be it the, you know, the, the Sunday school teacher, the children's church, or even those, uh, you know, in the pulpit when the children are in the church, we have to remind ourselves that in telling those stories, we're not, the story isn't complete until it comes to Jesus, until it leads to Jesus. And you know, I think that's the, I don't want to say mistake, but I think that's sort of the, the gap that we have to cross mm-hmm. 
is learning to relate. You know, even Jonah and the whale. You know, that's that's a great story about resurrection and revival. Uh, you know, read Jonah literally, and you know he drowns. He's dead. You spend three days in the belly of a fish. You're dead too. Yeah, but God rescues him. God revives him. It's a Jesus Himself used the story of Jonah and the whale as a, a prophetic, uh, a prophetic promise of His own resurrection. So the story is there even in the stories. But even beyond that, uh, to introduce our children to the gospel. Um, you know, we have this sort of blind spot, if we want to call it that. Maybe it's just a mindset that we need to talk ourselves out of, that children can't understand or really can't appreciate or really can't grasp certain concepts at an early age. And that is a huge error and mistake. Mm-hmm. Children are quite often a lot more perceptive and a lot more uh, capable of grasping things. We actually, you know, there's studies that show we actually lose our ability to assimilate information as we age. You know, that the child's brain, the, uh, the young person's brain is far more capable of making the connections, the neural connections, the neural pathways to, you know, this is why you, you, you know, from an early age, you start teaching them to memorize scripture, to memorize prayers. Uh, your child should know the Lord's prayer almost as soon as they're able to talk. You know, they, should, they should know Psalm 23. They should know John 3, 1 through 18. They should know, you know, they should know scripture before they're sent off into the worlds of preschools and kindergartens and all of that. So that's a, that's a parental responsibility and a grandparent responsibility to understand that these children they're 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 capable of grasping the concepts of salvation sin you know any child that has had another child take a toy away from them understands sin any child that has had another child you know, any little girl that's had a little boy run up and punch her or pull her hair can understand what it means to be hurt, what it means to have your personal uh, space violated. Your children are a lot more sensitive to these ideas than we give them credit for. So we've got to have a different mindset and speak to our children. I think one of, I believe in Sunday school, I believe in children's church. I believe children should have a space where they can be uh, as involved and as participatory as as they possibly can in their own at their own level of of understanding. But I think it's also important that we make sure that we're aware that they're just as much a part of the whole body of the church as any of the adults are, and that they're gifted and that they're called. You know, Samuel at you know, three years old in the temple, hearing the call of God. You know, David is a 13-year-old being anointed king over Israel. I mean, we, we sell our children short when we think, okay, well, when they grow up, when they're in college, when they're adults, 
then they can worry about this whole faith thing. So uh, that, that's my two cents on it, dear. Anybody else want to speak to yes. that? Go ahead. Not necessarily that, but is it, is it possible? When, when John the Baptist came, John the Baptist came preaching repentance. When Jesus came, he came preaching repentance. I think there's one scripture that Jesus said, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And in Second Chronicles, I think 7 and 14, it says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and turn from, is it, is it possible that when we present the gospel, to the world, we, we are not telling them that it, it requires confession and repentance, a turning from the way you're living and a turning to. So they're seeing this as a watered-down gospel and, and, and are not looking at the seriousness of it. I think so. Um, you know, conviction, we were talking about conviction earlier, and, you know, conviction does produce faith in Jesus Christ. It produces uh, that realization that without Jesus Christ, we're lost. You know, he's the only way of salvation. He is, he's the one who died and rose again, and he's the one who, who is Lord over all. But conviction also produces godly sorrow. And it's godly sorrow for our sins that leads to repentance. Um, you know, I, you know, there's two kinds of sorrow that we deal with when it comes to sin. There's the sorrow of, I shouldn't have done that, I was wrong. And there's the sorrow of, I'm sorry I got caught. <laughs> I'll try to be more clever about doing my wrong in the future. Yeah, you know, the godly sorrow is the sorrow that makes us look in the mirror and understand that we're not the good person that we've always imagined ourselves to be. That we are indeed that thief, that liar, that adulterer, that murderer, that um, we privately and sometimes publicly accuse others of being. <laughs> that uh, that, that uh, the dust mites in the eyes of others are logs in our own eyes. And only the, and when you have that moment of realization, and it comes from understanding that truth, that had I been the only person in the entire world, Christ still would have needed to come and die and rise again to save me. You know, that it's my sin, my sin that put him on the cross. It's my sin he paid for. It's not all those bad people in Washington. It's not all those bad people over in the other country. It's me. I'm the problem. I'm the sinner. And the only place to go from there is repentance if you, if you want to be free of that burden. If you don't repent, you're always going to carry that guilt and shame with you. You might dull it with whatever drugs, alcohol, whatever your, your thing is depressions and you know, suicide attempts and all those things, all, all that, are, or even the outward, the angers and the, 
the bitterness and the wrath and all those things, all of that flows from the same source. Um, but if we do confess it, if we do repent of it, which means to change our, first of all, repentance is a change of attitude. We call sin, sin. We stop pretending that it's something different, that it's just the way things are, or that it's just a mistake, or we have a change of attitude towards sin itself, that we recognize sin as the snake in the garden. It's, it's the evil. You know, to confess, the word confess, basically means for us to say the same thing about sin that God says about it. You know, to, the word fess means to speak, con means with. Confess means to speak with, to speak with God, to call sin what God calls sin. And it, all, it, it means a change of purpose. We have to have, you know, if we're going to turn away from those sins, we've got to turn away from the, the ambitions and the goals and the purposes that led us to commit those sins in the first place. You know, if we... If you, you, there's no way to sanctify um, uh, a wrong thing. There's no right way to do the wrong thing. You know, you can say, well, I still want to do this. I just got to find a different note. You have to turn away from that purpose, whatever that purpose was that led you into that sin. And um, it, it's a change of mind. You think differently. You see the world differently. And it's a change of direction. You were heading this way. Now you've turned away. You've turned back. You're turning to a different path. Can we do that? Or are we doing that to the sufficiency that the gospel calls for? I don't know. I'll let some of the others on the call express their opinions, but I think we probably could do a lot better. Anybody else have a thought here or on the previous idea? Um, yes, Pastor. I think as my sister mentioned about um, Sunday school as kids, I don't remember myself if I uh, were growing up in church, if I, uh, in Sunday school itself, if I was introduced to the gospel. Um, but as she mentioned um, that, I, you know, um, uh, kids, especially at a very young age, if I'm teaching, like, for example, in my subject area that I'm teaching, I start from the concrete, that means abstract, something that the kids know, and then I relate that to um, to them and um, to, to a more abstract, you move from the concrete to the abstract. Um, so, you know, kids, you know, the, the songs or little plays or something that the kids, kids, um, enjoy most kids would like and you can link that in you know when you talk about kindness and what is if you're mean or you're you know if you're you hit another um friend well that's not right that is sin you can you can relate that and then um then then as time goes on then you can actually um connect that to of course the um to to um to just to Jesus and then you know, Jesus is love and you know whenever you do something that is good um you know you're you're actually doing what Jesus tells you to do you 
So it's it's um, it takes some time, but but you're again too as you, as you mentioned, you have to start from an early age. You still, you have four year olds who are able to to talk about Jesus. You have even three years old, three years old. It depends on the on the home situation that you're in. Um, another way, um, and, and this is even for more adults. Adults who this is much harder. I think the kids might be easier. And the adults, there are some adults who, of course, they have never heard about the, well, other they were not interested, they might have heard it, um, uh, and, uh, but they have never really um, hit much mind the gospel. But there's a way um, I, I was um, introduced to is that um, use, for example, the cross, the vertical, uh, we're connected um, to the horizontal, the vertical represent God down to man, and then um, for the cross, um, of course, we have to cross over. Jesus Christ is bridge the gap for, from between man and God. So, um, in order to to um, reach to God, then you have to go through Jesus Christ. So you could physically. Um, use a cross to show the um, link, the connection. Is, so there has to be a link, and that's what God did with him. Another cross to reach God, anything. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sins, we could link also that um, physical cross, and you know, to um, introduce them to um, to, um, to the salvation message. Amen. Um... You know, just just to kind of piggyback on that illustration and, and, and the whole idea, if you don't think children are capable of grasping the concepts or uh, understanding what it's all about, then I, my question to you is, why is the enemy so interested in the minds of our children? I mean, think of what he's been able to do even now, you know, on, on the, the, not just through the public school systems, but through the media, children's media, you know, the enemy understands something that the church has forgotten. And that is train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so you've got the media full bore now trying to convince boys that they're girls and girls that they're boys and trying to convince all of them that they can be both. And they're not doing it at an adult level. They're not going after the 50-year-olds like me. Who are they going after? They're going after uh, Alice has two mommies and Davey has two daddies. And they're doing it at that level because they understand that those children are capable of understanding complex ideas and grasping concepts. And if they can feed them enough lies, enough nonsense, they can build in that child a, a barrier to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It's very much a harvest field and a race, a race, who gets to these children first 
is going to determine in a lot of homes, a lot of families, a lot of communities, uh, the success of the, the gospel in, in reaching a generation. Now, that doesn't mean that once you pass, you know, 18, you can't respond. Of course you can. You know, the gospel can penetrate at any level, at any age. You can be 99 years old and been a degenerate sinner your whole life, and the gospel can still reach you. But children are a prize, and the enemy has done a much better job of prioritizing. Uh, you know, when I, I tell young ministers today, I've, I've told this to my son. You know, my, most of you know my son, Ethan, is, is a uh, next-gen minister over at Cooper City. And I said, that is the most important ministry in the church. It's more important than what I do. You know, I'm a, I'm a caretaker. I'm a shepherd. I'm here to help the ones that are already in. Uh, but that generation coming up, if I was any person who feels a call to ministry, that's where I would go. That's what I would do. It would be to, uh, whether it's through a Sunday school teacher, a children's church teacher, a worker. Um, and again, those of you that are doing that, praise God for you. Thank you. And don't be afraid to challenge, yeah, you know, whatever class you're teaching, if they're five, if they're 15, whatever, don't be afraid to challenge them every time to believe in Jesus, to call on the name of the Lord, to confess and repent and believe the gospel. They're capable. They can do it. Anyone else want to speak to that? If I could comment um, quickly, Pastor. Go ahead. I been. I think that the enemy will target the children because that is that is a way of getting to the parents. That is a way of getting to the adults. Because when you when you get the, the, the minds of the children all warped and feed them, you know, all all this stuff that is not good. And the parents see that. When you when the enemy basically said out oh, to destroy the children. The parents are affected to the extent that they begin to doubt God. They, they, their own, their, it's like their own um, salvation is, is compromised there. What, what they believe is, is now in doubt because of what they see is happening to their children. It's an attack, not just on the children, but a way, it's a way to get to the grown-ups as well. That's what I believe. Oh, Amen. I, I, I think you're, you know, the, yeah, the reverse is true as well. The, you know, the enemy never simply is satisfied with just taking one. You know, he wants a foot in the door. And if he can get that foot in the door through the child... If he can get that foot in the door through mom or dad, if he can get that foot in the door through Uncle Joe, you know, um, however he can get in there. Once he's in there, he's going to try to tear the whole house down. Uh, yeah. And unfortunately, we have made it too easy. It, it really isn't that difficult anymore. We're, and I'm again, I'm raising my hand. I'm in the guilty party here of making it way too easy for things to come into my home via computer, via television, via music, via whatever that, um, you know, 
could be turned into weapons against the home and against the family. And, and I, I, you know, it, it's hard. I know sometimes we, you know, my generation was a little different. You know, my parents, I've often accused my parents of borderline child abuse. Uh, and I say it jokingly, my parents love me very much. But my parents were very careful to make sure that when I did wrong, I paid for it. Uh, that there were consequences to choosing the wrong words, to committing the wrong action. And they didn't do it to hurt me. They didn't do it to, uh, you know, make themselves feel good, exercise their power. They were deeply concerned about my soul. They wanted me to understand that sin wasn't just a mistake or just some sort of, uh, oh, well, just don't do that again, that it had consequences, eternal consequences. And um, you know, before we go too far down that road, uh, I just want to make sure we, you know, we're talking now about conviction and repentance. And uh, it was mentioned earlier, yet one of the manifestations of repentance is confessing sin. Um, even to the point now that you, you know, even though I've been saved, you know, truly goodly saved now for 33 years or two years, um, I still feel conviction when I'm not where I need to be or not doing what I need to do or leaving something undone. Uh, this confession is part of our walk with Christ. And, you know, we never, you know, at least I've never got to the point where I can say, you know what I did today? I did everything perfectly today. <laughs> I was a perfect human being today. Um, but for the sinner, uh, this confession isn't so much just of our sins, although that's important. But it's really a confession of our sinfulness. And I hope you make the distinction, understand the distinction. And we talked about teaching our children. We tell our children, you know, when our children do something, they, you know, if you have more than one, you know, if you have two or three children, inevitably they're going to uh, argue with each other, fight with each other. And as our, you know, our job as parents is to go in there and say, okay, you tell your sister you're sorry. Um, and we can make them do it. But it doesn't mean, just because they said they were sorry, it doesn't mean they actually were sorry. They're just, you know, again, they're looking, you know, to try to the least path of least resistance. But there comes that moment where, again, I say, you have to look in the mirror and realize, I'm the reason Christ died. I'm the reason he came. And that confession of your sinfulness is what leads to the forsaking of the sinful acts. You know, a lot of us try to reform. You know, we try to, you know, like it's like with diets. You know, we try to, I'm going to eat less sugar today, except for that ice cream cone. I'm going to eat less. I'm not going to eat so much bread today, but, you know, I really like that bagel. Uh, you know, we try that with sin. I'm going to try to be more truthful today, or I'm going to... It's not reformation. It's not reformation. It's transformation. 
And that transformation is only possible if we see ourselves and admit to ourselves the way that God sees us. Uh, repentance is forsaking that sin because we recognize it for what it is. It is the, the, the reason that Christ died. Making restitution for sin. We don't preach that at all hardly anymore. But uh, that's a big part of repentance. If you know you've wronged somebody, uh, there is a need not only to go to God and say, I'm sorry I did it, but to go to the person you wronged and say, hey, I did wrong to you. And if there's any way I can make it up, you know, if there's any way I can fix it, that has to be part of our repentance as well. And then, of course, it's not just a negative. It's not just about getting away from sin, but now we've got to turn it into a positive. And when we repent, we turn away from sin, but we turn towards righteousness. As aggressively as we pursue sin in our sinful condition, we need to be even more aggressive in pursuing righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, uh, folks, that's an hour, and we still got almost half of the lesson to go. So we're gonna we're gonna put a pen in it here, and we're gonna come back here next week and pick up from uh, moving from repentance into faith and saving faith. So uh, keep your notes handy, don't don't lose them, and we'll finish this lesson next week. Well, let's just pray and uh, uh, and and be dismissed, Father. We. Thank you tonight for the word. We thank you for the conviction that we've all received. We know why you came, Lord. You came to save us. You came to save me. I'm thankful. I, I know I wasn't worth saving in my own eyes, in the eyes of the world. The world would have thrown me away. But you saw in me someone to be loved, someone to be saved, someone to be healed someone to be delivered from the bondages of my own prison, my own self-created prison of sin. And I'm grateful and I'm thankful for your salvation. I'm thankful for the conviction that you brought my heart to, that you and you alone are the only way of salvation. And I pray tonight that each one who's on this call, and each one who hears this uh, podcast in the future, they will be brought to that same place if they haven't been. And they, like I did, will call on the name of Jesus Christ and be saved. Now I ask you to watch over this class, watch over each one, bless them, take care of them, protect them, bless their homes, bless their families, bless their jobs. Keep them holy and keep them whole until the next appointed time. We give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all tonight, and uh, we'll talk with you next week. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. and on Wednesdays at 7.45 p.m. For more information or to support our ministry, visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org or if you're in the Broward County area, we would love for you to visit our church located at 1890 Southwest 31st Avenue, Fort Lauderdale, Florida 33312.
God bless you. Until next time, this is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.